So Lord, as we sit here with the communion elements uh, before us, would you prepare our hearts to commune with you? Lord, how uh, beautiful and horrendous at the same time to think of your body on the cross. Thank you for sacrificing everything, for becoming poor so that we might be made rich. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, actually, we are talking about hope. In fact, I didn't intention to uh, talk about hope. We're just going to talk about uh, the experience. We thought it would be neat as in this Advent series, What Child Is This?, to walk through it from the perspective of Mary and what she might have experienced with the announcement of the birth of Christ, but then also carrying that a little bit through what she uh, might have experienced um, in the life and ministry of her son, Jesus Christ, and then even at the cross and the resurrection. But I was really planning on going. I didn't feel like I needed to do about hope, talk about hope, um, just because we're doing the candle. I wanted to just make it authentically through Mary. In fact, I had a different angle. And yet, as I read Mary's story, I just saw her as this person of, of so filled with hope. And yet, at the same time that in Mary's life, there must have been a time that she really struggled with hopelessness. If you, you think about the experience that there must have been a time, even though I will see that I, I think she started in that place of just so much hope with God that in, in the course of the, the gospel story and the unveiling of the story, there must have been that moment that she just fell to this desperate place of despair and hopelessness and disillusionment. And yet at the same time, there must have been restored hope in her life. And would you think with me about the last time that you felt feelings of hopelessness? Of despair. Maybe it was for you a, a particular situation, maybe at work, maybe it was in a relationship and, and you uh, arrived, you, at one point you had so much hope but now arrived at that place of hopelessness there. Maybe as Beth prayed that sometimes Christmas is not that joyous season. Advent is not that joyous season that you, you feel the loss. You feel the anxiety. You remember the loss. Would you think for a moment with me? And maybe some of us are there right now. But the last time you were experiencing those feelings of hopelessness. 
Just a few years ago, there was a 14-year-old named Valentina. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. I think it's Maria. She was from Chile. And she made news. She uh, was a teenager, a minor, suffering from an incurable respiratory illness. And she was so hopeless that she made a YouTube video and she talked about how she wanted to end her own life. And Chile had no laws for legalized assisted suicide. So in that video, she was sharing her story and her hopelessness and advocating that Chile would um, put into the record books laws that would legalize assisted suicide because she wanted to take her own life. Some of you might remember the story of Brittany Maynard, a 29-year-old who advocated in the United States for assisted suicide. Um, Valentina, she was influenced by her. And that was part of what she was saying. This became so public and, and uh, there were so many hits that Valentina began to get visits from different people, from different places of the country. One of the visits was uh, from the Chilean president, Michelle Bacalet, who is actually a trained uh, pediatrician. She, she visited Valentina. There's also the, her father um, uh, said there was a, a very significant visit from a family um, from Argentina. And the whole family had a number of kids that were suffering with the same incurable respiratory illness. And what her father said is that as these visits came, they began to change the, his daughter's hopelessness into hope. That she began to think and wrestle. In fact, Valentina said it this way, she did end up dying and yet not by suicide. She said, there are people who have led me to change my way of thinking. I've been able to, she was able to embrace life and live life with a new and restored hope. The Advent season, the Christmas season really is undergirded by so many things. Of course, the incarnation, Christ, but especially this idea of hope that in this broken and lost world that's filled with despair, the message of Christmas and therefore the whole season of Christmas should represent a God that is saying, don't give up, don't lose sight, don't fall into despair, don't wallow in that hopelessness I've come I've got you I see the brokenness I see the tears I hear the cries put your hope in me let me fill you with my hope in fact God is referred to by the Apostle Paul as the God of hope. Jesus is meant to be that child of hope. The message of the gospel is rooted in this idea of hope. You and I as Christians are meant to be a people of hope. And yet, it seems that even in, uh, regardless of whether we are people of faith or not, we still wrestle with that same sense 
of sadness, of struggle. That I, and in the Christmas season, as Beth said, it seems that despair doesn't recede, but sometimes even increases. And I think this morning, as we read Mary's experience, that her life, and through her life, the, the testimony of Scripture has something to say to you and I about hope. A hope restored. A hope recovered. Uh, a hope that we can press into. So let's read the Christmas story and think about it a little bit, or part of the Christmas story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Would you turn with me there at verse 26? And we're going to be thinking about Mary's experience. And of course, it's the story, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. Pay attention in particular to her response. Starting in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, the one who saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Listen to Jesus, uh, Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I was thinking how beautiful Mary's response was to Gabriel. It was unlike uh, Zachariah. She asked for a little bit of clarification. I think we can extend her that grace, right? She's a virgin, and he's saying you're to be with child. She's like, what? So a little bit of clarification, right? So we extend her that. However, this response, look at her, 
Look at the, the song. We won't read Mary's whole song, but if you jump down a little bit, this is a response from her spirit, and it says this in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Not a beautiful response of Mary, just that, that response of faith. I want to suggest that Mary, that God didn't just choose Mary randomly. Like he wasn't up in heaven. He was like, you know what any old 14-year-old virgin will do? Let's just find the one that kind of fit. No, he's looking and he saw Mary, who was probably a teenager, a young teenager, and yet already at that point, she was this person who was looking to God. I think that's how the text reads. That she was already, at this point, someone who was believing in God. She wasn't uh, wallowing in her, her circumstances and her struggle, that she was a people that was occupied by another nation, that she was wrestling in poverty. No, that she was already this, this uh, person who was turning and lifting her soul and saying, God is going to answer. God is on the move. God, I, I don't know, but trusting in that place. Already, she was that person filled with hope. Already, a person looking to God, trusting God, believing, hoping in God. Perhaps somewhat of a model for us. Her heart, her soul was trusting in God. There's a, a beautiful passage of scripture, perhaps one of my favorite, favorite in terms of hope, and I think it relates to the life of Mary. It comes from Hebrews uh, 6. We have it on the, the PowerPoint from you, for you. Um, and it is that, that idea of where is your life and your soul anchored in? The author of Hebrews says this, we have this hope as an anchor. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. The, these images have a, a striking image for us. Would you think with me for a moment about an anchor, the illustration of an anchor and where our anchors used? On, on large ships, right? And they've got these heavy chains connected and when the anchor wants to not float here and there, they unload the anchor, goes deep down into the sea, rests on the bottom and holds the ship in place, right? Now, the scripture is talking about an anchor but not for a large ship. But for what? An anchor for your soul and mine. And that anchor is the hope of the gospel. And that's not an anchor in the depths of the sea. Where is that anchor supposed to go? Look at the passage of scripture. 
Where does that go? What? The, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary, the throne room of God. And so get in your mind this anchor of not a ship, but your soul with this large chain. And where does it go? It doesn't go down. It goes into the inner sanctuary of God. And that anchor that is sitting there provides that stability Whatever the storms, whatever the hurricanes, whatever the struggle, from your soul, that chain has that anchor in the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, of where God is. Isn't that a beautiful image? Now, would you think about it, uh, keep this metaphor going in your mind, and think about holding that anchor in your hand. And if we're honest, where do you place that anchor? Right? I'm not going to have a show of hands or anything like that. But, but if we're honest, is that really going to the inner sanctuary? Is that really in the holy of holies? Or is that someplace else? Uh, so often I think we, we take that anchor and we place our hope I want to suggest in another person so often. It can be a spouse. It can be a parent, a mother or father. In fact, I think most of us start with that anchor and mother and father. And we have to learn of that. You know who are the most hopeful people on the face of this earth? I'd love to say Christians, but I don't think so. You know who they are? Engaged couples. Do you, right? Right? Because they are so hopeful, um, but unfortunately, oftentimes, it's in the other person because all is good. Now, I do pre-marriage counseling because there's a value in that, but I've realized I'm not going to get to anything of substance. Why? Because they're so hopeful. They, <laughs> ah, they... Do you realize you have this huge gaping issue in your relationship? Yes, but we love each other. Is that right? They don't come that? Uh, so you met one another on the internet yesterday and you're engaged. Yes, but she's a Christian, so we have Jesus. We're good. Right? So there's this, there's this sense, right, of hope, but potentially, and those of us who have experienced marriage, it can be rough, right? And it challenges that place. Now, by the way, I use that in my engagement with Kendra, right? So she's not a dog person and I had two big dogs. And I'm like, is it okay? We're kind of a package deal. And she's like, yes, anything. I, I love you, right? And then that's been challenged several, several times. Sometimes we anchor our hope in other people, what else do we do? We, we anchor our hope in finances or our career or our jobs. Don't we do that? Right? And maybe our 401k, we, we've done that. Or maybe our, our skills and abilities to create wealth, to go after that, that sometimes, some of us are, are, are tempted to anchor there. It's worked for us. That's solid. We feel good about that. 
Just watch, one of the movies we were watching was called The Wizard of Lies. Maybe some of you have seen that. It's the Bernie Madoff story where it's horrible, you know, what he did. He wasn't investing, but people lost their entire savings. Uh, you know, social service agencies lost all of the acquired wealth, all of those things. And, and they have the stories uh, of the people, the, the victims that were there. And of course, our hearts go out to those victims, but they did say things like this, my life is utterly over. I'm done. In fact, a number of victims committed suicide and they took their lives. And, and again, don't hear uh, tremendous compassion for those who lost and it was horrible what Bernie Madoff did. But I think that's an indication of where we place the anchor of our hope, where we let that wrestle. And when we anchor our hope in a person or wealth or whatever else, and that gets lost, then we are truly hopeless. You see, the Father is looking for a people who would learn to take that anchor and send it, follow Jesus into the inner sanctuary of God that we would place, that nothing would, would uh, lead us to that despair because we are not anchored in wealth, we are not anchored in people, we are anchored in God and God alone. And yes, Jesus said, you will face storms. Yes, in, in this world, this tempest will sometimes swirl in your life, especially if you're advancing the kingdom of God, a tempest will, will swirl. But you need to anchor your heart, your soul in my presence, in my love, in my goodness. In fact, that's what I, I believe the Father is often doing when he allows our physical world to crash and crumble and discourage, he's trying to get us to think about where we're anchored. He's trying to teach us to be a people that are anchoring our lives, our souls in heaven. A few passages of scripture, Psalm 38, 18. Listen to this. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Psalm 147, 11, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. That God is looking for those folks. God is, is scanning the world. You get the impression from the Psalms. He's looking for those people that have taken the anchor and they've put it in him, in his love, in his kindness, in our relationship with him. That is our rock and our foundation of our lives. Anything else will crumble down. Anything else is like sand or as the, as the hymn says, the sweetest frames I will not trust but Jesus alone. In Mary, I see that response that she said, I trust you. Your word will be done. You are faithful in that.
A tremendous example for us in Mary's life. And yet, I do believe that Mary was that beautiful person of tremendous hope, but I think that hope was challenged. In fact, even before the cross, in the life and ministry of Jesus, I I think she experienced some dissonance, some struggle, some confusion. We're told right in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry that the family heard about what Jesus was doing, his ministry, And they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Go to that next uh, um, screen. He is struggling with hopelessness. So he is, um, go to that next screen there, one more. And the family said, "Um, he is out of his mind. And then just a little bit later, brothers and mothers go to him and and Jesus says, "Um, who's my brother and mother? They're the people who see the kingdom of God. I don't know if it was a little bit like John the Baptist where where Jesus wasn't quite living it the way that Mary had thought. Like the, the words of Gabriel that we read, that he would be the king, that he, in the line of David, that he would establish his kingdom. And she's, where, where's the kingdom? Don't you remember, Jesus, the words I told you that the angel said, you're not to, why are you hanging with these people? You have a kingdom to take and conquer. I don't know, we're not told that. But she was wrestling with that. I have to suggest probably the greatest moment of hopelessness must have been at the cross where we're told in John 19, 25, it says near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Can you imagine Mary looking and seeing her own son, her firstborn, her oldest, not a king, but a criminal. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, John, he said, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. For that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This, even the compassion of Jesus while he suffered on the cross. Can you imagine the sense of despair that she must have felt? Not only all the the hopes and the dreams of the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Jesus that they were saying, what is happening? Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one and he's up there. She shared all of that disillusionment. But then the unforgettable, to see your own child whom Gabriel said would be king and his kingdom would last forever. And now instead of a king, a criminal dying. I can't imagine that she held on to hope in that moment. There was an article a few months ago called Dying of Despair. And a psychiatrist, Aaron Carity, wrote this article, and he 
um, did a study. He had observed a startling rise of the suicide rates and drug overdoses across the nation of the United States. As a community, we've had a significant rise of suicides here. Teenagers, students, military. And he actually analyzed long-term studies that looked at what was the difference maker of this high-risk patients and population, what was the difference maker between those who actually went through with it and took their own lives and those who survived. So some long-term studies over 10 years. And this is what he wrote in this article. He said, over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predicted Predictive, I'm saying that word wrong. Predictive, thank you. It's very important that we get that. Let me start again. Over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. We cannot live without hope. In fact, all these Studies are just telling us what the word of God continues to tell us again and again. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope so crucial. What do we do in those moments of hopelessness? What do we do if we're one of those that enters the season and rather than being filled with hope, we're, we're wrestling because we feel that sense of loss. Nostalgia clings to us. Well, one, I do believe, is where is our heart and soul anchored? What is God saying? What does he want to anchor you in? But here's another I think that we're supposed to look beyond the physical world and continually to the spiritual. Look beyond to, let me say it this way, the narrative of this world and seek to find the narrative of God, not just for our lives, but for our families, for Um, our, our world, as it were, that we would listen to what God is saying about our lives and family. Friends, I think we spend so much time listening to the story of the world about us. Understand the, the story about who we are. You are horrible student. You'll never amount to anything, a world's message. God is saying, no, I love you. I will give you wisdom. I will give you knowledge. I've got you. Some of us hear from the world, my life is over. I'm, I, I'm knee deep in, in failure and debt. And God is saying, no, I've, I've got you. I have given you true wealth. You're really the wealthiest person on the face of this earth. Because of me. 
I'm a failure. No one loves me. I'm not successful in anything. No, no, no. I'm preparing you for the work that I've called you. Mary was going to have to face the world's narrative, right? She was going to have to face, so you're pregnant and you're a virgin. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. How, how unrighteous of you, right? That was the world's narrative. God's narrative is, I have plans for you. And it's beautiful. Trust me, trust my words for you. The Apostle Paul, uh, I'd say he uses this phrase, against all hope. Sometimes we have to hope against all hope. And in fact, he uses um, the story of Abraham. And I thought I would just read Abraham and Sarah, and they were told that they were gonna have um, a child, and yet years and years kept going by. And, and the promised child was not coming, was not coming not coming, and, and he and, and the Apostle Paul says this in Romans uh, 4.18, he says, against all hope. Isn't that interesting? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now, not necessarily a pastoral way of articulating that, but he was an old guy, all right? He's an old guy. He's, in fact, 100 years old. No offense to Oral, but he's saying, get, get this idea here. Let me read this again. He said, his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And then he also is not too pastoral with this next phrase and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Not very pastoral, but don't get lost in the language. Hear what he's saying, all right? He says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You see, what he is saying, what was happening there is that Abraham could have looked at the physical realm. He could have said, I am at this old guy. In fact, Sarah did. We're told later, she's like, yeah, you're still holding on to that promise. No way, right? She was looking at the physical and what Paul is saying, Abraham didn't. He believed in the words of God. He believed in the promise of God. He believed that for his life, that all things were possible with the Father. And he set his hope in what God was doing in his life. And friends, I think when we listen, as we so often do, about the world's narrative, the world's story and words about our lives, about our successes, our failures, about our families, that that begins to lead down that area, that road to despair and hopelessness. And yet as people of faith, we say, no, no we don't listen to just the world's words. 
we in fact turn our souls to the Father. Say, what are you saying about me, Father? What are your promises for me? What are you doing in my life? What have you said? When was the last time that you said, God, what do you think about me in this circumstance? Father, what are you doing here? Father, this hurts, and it it seems like this makes only sense in this broken way, but what are you doing in this instance? What's the story you are trying to tell about my life? and about my relationships. And the father is saying, I have great plans for you. I know you. I love you. I love that word in Mary's song, mindful. I am mindful of you. It's a promise of scripture. You're not insignificant. You're not overlooked. You're not a second class citizen. God knows you and loves you. And I can say he's particularly fond of you, right? Not as fond as he is of me, but he very, no, in that grand sense, we get to be his favorites, right? Right? He knows you. He has plans and purposes. Are we listening for his words of hope? And I think that's, in part, how hope is restored. Hope is restored. Do you know that the the cross and, and the resurrection, the Easter story, I think many people think that's the last reference of Mary in the Bible. That's actually not, almost, but not. The final reference to, to Mary is in the book of Acts. Acts one fourteen. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. And we can assume that Mary was a part of the early church, that Mary was part of Pentecost, that Mary was there when the tongues of fire rested and and when the empowerment of the Spirit came. She was there and got to live the plan of her son to create a church, a community of people that would be a people of hope to the whole world. She was there and got to be a part of this mission of her son to tell the world that it is not hopeless, but God has got this world in his hands and it all ends well. It's good. She got to be a part of this community that would say, you know, Jesus came once, but he's coming back again. And he'll restore everything in your life and in this world. You see, friends, I want to suggest that we're meant to live as Advent people all through the year. Not just for a couple of weeks in December when we throw up some Christmas lights and buy some gifts. And all the, but we are, we are meant to enter into, now I go over this every year, Advent is a Latin word, you remember what it means? 
It means arrival or coming, right? Now, and so we, we remember how the people before Christ came, they were waiting. They were a people who were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah who'd come, that they were living their lives in this anticipation and this expectation. Now, since Jesus has come, Christmas, so are we not meant to be a people of expectation? What do you think? Do we only get to remember that? We're supposed to live in that same sense of advent of his coming because he will come again and restore all things. Are you guys thinking deeply? Did you get it? You see it? So that yes, we remember Advent, we remember the coming and the arrival, and yet now we live that today, that is part of being a people of hope, that yes, we might be struggling with this loss and difficulty and pain, and yet we know Jesus has promised to right all things, to wipe every tear. That's why we approach whatever hardship, whatever struggle, we know we believe his truth, that he will restore all things. Do we experience pain and lament? Of course we do but we're meant to do it in a different way than the rest of the world. Yes, there's space for authentic sadness and yet filtered in the midst of that sadness and loss is meant to be the hope of the gospel that God is with us, that God is for us and that Jesus will come again. We wait, not in fear or despair. Psalm 33, 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Titus 2, 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a people, yes, we struggle. Yes, we mourn. Yes, but yet we wait in hope that God is with us and for us. Do you know that the message of hope is embedded in the story of communion. You know that. In communion, we do remember, we do look back to Jesus' coming and arrival and we celebrate that, that there is a light in this dark world. That's part of communion is we remember. Also part of a communion is that the very real and mysterious presence, the means of grace we receive from Jesus in this moment of communion, that it's not just juice and a piece of bread, but in a very beautiful, mysterious sense, we, we commune with Jesus and receive his grace in the moment. And yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That in communion, we also look to the future and we say, yes, the struggle is there. Despair is here. Yes, but someday, someday we will take this bread and drink this juice and we will do this in anticipation and be filled with hope for the day he returns and makes all things new. Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment between you and the Lord? Where is the anchor of your soul? Where is your soul anchored in? Part of communion is about confession. Would you just take a moment, whatever that, whatever he's saying, just say, Lord, I, I don't want my soul anchored in anyone else, in anything else but you and you alone. Help me to anchor my soul in you. Lord, I pray for the many of us. There's a level of despair as we start the Christmas season. It's hard for us not to think about those we've lost, those that have gone before us. Lord, we know it's okay to, to lament and, and cry before you, but Lord, would you fill those thoughts, those moments with your spirit of hope that someday we will be with them again. And Lord, to teach us that as Christians our lives are never hopeless Lord would you help us to to hear your words for us your story help us not to believe the words of this world but believe you your narrative your story your truth. Would you meet us in this place of communion?